0: Take your Bibles now and turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. This, of course, is a familiar passage, at least in the first part of it, because it's Luke's account of the resurrection of Christ. But we're not going to read that part. We're going to read the middle part of this chapter, beginning at verses 13 and and going through verses uh, 35, verse 35. Luke 24, beginning at verse 13 and reading through verse 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a mighty prophet, a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour And returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. When they told what had happened on the road and how he was going how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This ends the reading of God's word. We are a part of the worldwide church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess our faith and hope that are grounded in the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus. And today, as we should do each Lord's Day, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is the foundation of our faith. Let me ask you, though, what difference does the resurrection of Christ make? What difference does the resurrection of Christ make? What what practical impact does it have in our daily lives? Our answer, at least in part, at least in part, can be found in the incident that took place with Jesus and two of his disciples as they walked along the road to the village of Emmaus. These two disciples were not in the original 12, but they were nonetheless followers of Christ. And only Luke records this encounter. And it's a good thing for us that he did. What we have here is a revealing account of the state of Jesus' followers after his resurrection. But there is a process, and we just read about that process, of where they were when they first started talking to Jesus and where they would be after their conversation with Jesus. The effect of his resurrection on their hearts will teach us that the resurrection needs to have this kind of effect on our hearts. There's a process, and there's really three steps involved in that process, all having to do with the heart, the state of our hearts as we come to realize the the reality and the significance that Christ really did rise from the dead. And in this passage, the heart is the focus of this process. It's really like going to school with Jesus and having a, the ultimate lesson, Bible lesson, taught to these two disciples by Jesus himself. And in this process, I want to borrow these three stages, or at least the wording of these three stages, from the great 20th century Welch preacher, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones. I heard him many years ago, a recording of him many years ago, preaching this passage. In fact, I heard it again this morning. And uh, it's out there. And I rarely, I don't know if I've ever uh, borrowed uh, an outline from another preacher. If I ever do, I'll tell you. You don't have to wonder if I've, you know, got on the internet and printed out a sermon and I'm reading it up here. I'm never going to do that. But I like to give credit where credit is due. I'm not that creative, you see. But when I find something good, I like to share it. And so Dr. Lord Jones, in his wonderful sermon, the way he preached it, I could never do. So blame me for the rest of the sermon, not him. But this is the way he he finds this passage breaking down as far as the state of their hearts. At first, we find that there are two negatives here. They had a sad heart, which we see in verse 17. And then in verse 25, we read that they had a slow heart. And then finally and thankfully, they came to the point where they had a burning heart. A sad heart, a slow heart. And then a burning heart. What led to that transformation? It's the same process that you and I have to go through in one way or another. So first of all, they had a sad heart. Verse 17. In that verse we read, And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking Sad. They looked sad, and that in itself is a giveaway, is it not, often to the condition of people. With most people, you can tell a lot about how they're doing by the look on their faces. If you say to someone, how are you doing? And you get this three-foot-long face, or maybe you've already gotten it and you don't even really have to say how are you doing, but you, you, know, you want to know. Some people don't. Some people look and they just go right past it. Maybe they're afraid to ask. How are you doing? They look sad. This was the case when Jesus joins these two disciples. The expressions on their faces was one of defeat. And darkness and discouragement, things were not going to plan as far as they could see as far as they could understand. Why do people look sad? These two disciples looked sad because they were sad. The look on their faces was, the external manifestation of the state of their hearts. And sometimes it's pretty hard to hide our sadness, isn't it? Sometimes those sad, sad faces are legitimate and, and for understandable reasons. Sometimes we, we grieve over the loss of loved ones or some bitter disappointment that has just shaken us to the core and we can't hide the fact of our sadness. But here, the disciples were sad because they didn't understand that Jesus was alive. Understand, they they didn't even understand understand that Jesus was talking to them. In these these verses, uh, give us a description of what's going on initially in this conversation. As the two men were walking on the road to the village of Emmaus, took about seven miles. They weren't using Uber. They were walking like most people did in those days, unless they were pretty wealthy. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. There's this conversation going back and forth between these two men as they're walking. And verse 15 tells us that while they were doing that, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. I think it's helpful to know that the reason they didn't recognize Jesus is not because he was so physically different in his resurrected body. It was really more on their part. God caused them to not be able to realize who Jesus was at this point. Maybe they didn't even look up to see his face. I mean, if you're standing still looking sad, you're probably looking down on the ground. Our heads are down when we're sad. Our heads are up when we're joyful in most cases. So here they are in this situation. They were sad, they looked sad because they were sad. and there's a biblical truth in that. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13, we have a, a description of what our, our physical manifestations can be referring to. Verse 13 of chapter 15 in <clears throat> Proverbs says, A glad heart makes a cheerful face. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Isn't that true? Don't we see that? Don't we personally experience that in our own situations? And so these disciples expressed their sadness as they walked along with this stranger that they knew, but they didn't know. They batted back and forth this subject that was under discussion. And guess what the subject was that was under discussion? It was not the resurrection. They talked about before that. They talked about how wonderful it had been. See how they put it? In verse 18, they kind of give a little dig to this stranger Not knowing it was Jesus. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Where have you been? Have you had your head in the ground? Been hiding under a rock somewhere? Well, no, he was hiding behind a rock. But here they are just amazed that there was somebody in Jerusalem. Remember, this is the Passover season. All these visitors were there. And they're probably assuming he's somebody from out of town. Why don't you know this? It's so obvious. And so Jesus, being a good teacher, says, what are you talking about? What things? And they go into this sort of a a regretful, sad description concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 19, the end there. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers con- delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And then they go on and talk about how the women had gone to the tomb and Claimed that Jesus wasn't there. If he wasn't there, where was he? These two disciples had not seen him. They've heard the rumor that Peter had seen him, that Jesus had made an appearance. So what happened? As far as they were concerned, Jesus was gone where they didn't know but it seemed like their whole hope had just dissolved because of the way things had gone not according to the expectations of the disciples remember that most Jews thought that when the Messiah came he was going to erect uh, a political kingdom he was going to conquer the Romans he was going to, to make everything right and he was going to reign from Jerusalem Of course, that's not the kind of kingdom Jesus came to establish. He had a better plan. The glories of the past are now extinguished by the misery of the present. In the musical Les Miserables, there is a sad song. There's more than one sad song, but there's one towards the end by Marius, who... Is bemoaning the fact that he no longer has his friends because they've all died in fighting for what amounted to be a hopeless cause in France. And Marius is standing at the room where they used to meet and raise a glass and laugh and and talk about their plans to change the country. The song he sings is called Empty Chairs at an Empty Table. He's looking at these chairs and tables and thinking, I used to sit right there with my friends, and they've all died out of their idealism to change things, and it failed. And I'm the only one that survived out of our group of friends. And he's heartbroken over that, as we might could understand. Oh, my friends, my friends, he said. I wish I had been with you. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm the only one left. And so all he can think about is the loss, the disappointment, the bitterness. Something like that, I think, was in the hearts of these disciples. You know, this sadness is found in many people today, most people, I would say, and it's often found in Christians, this kind of hopeless sadness. As Christians, we have no reason to be hopeless, but we lose our way sometimes. We drift away from keeping our spiritual eyes focused on the good news that Jesus died and rose again, and he's coming back. We get so immersed into our problems and our responsibilities and our pains and and worries that for all practical purposes uh, we're living as if we had no hope now if you were to ask us you know do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead yes do you believe that Christ is coming back yes do you believe that Jesus died for your sins yes but it's not having the effect on us that it is supposed to and so we can't really put point our fingers too much at these two Disciples and say, what's wrong with you disciples? We can't do that. As Christians, we have reason to be hopeful. But we can be haunted by our past experiences of sorrow and loss. And we can feel robbed of the blessings that we think we ought to be enjoying now. And so we maybe do feel hopeless about the future. We, think the past and the future, is affecting us in the present. One of the great names in German history, Count Otto von Bismarck. He once remarked, that, and I quote: "Without the hope of eternal life, this not life is not worth the effort of getting dressed in the morning." And there's a lot of people that, have, that don't have much of a desire to get dressed when they get up in the morning. And also, like these disciples, we can do a pretty good job of talking about our problems. And that's what they're doing. Oh, the problems. Oh, the failure. Oh, it was going to be great and we're so disappointed. And on and on and go. Dr. Lloyd Jones points out how we can be experts at analysing. Can't we? I mean, we've got experts for everything. And there's studies done. Well, I'm getting tired of reading that. Studies have shown. And you can find a study that fits exactly what you're looking for if you if you look enough. And if you keep looking, you'll find a study that contradicts that study. We analyze, we read books, we listen to messages, we do all these things, but we haven't solved anything really. And by we, I mean the church. Could it be that as a professing Christian, you or I are conveying, conveying this sad image to the unbelieving world. Are you sad? Are you sad right now? Now, it could be for a legitimate reason. But we need to ask ourselves, why? Why am I sad? Bring your sadness to God. Renew your, your, your understanding of the gospel and our foundations. Second thing to notice here, and I'll be quicker, on these other two, they had a slow heart. They had a sad heart because they were sad. They had a slow heart according to verse 25. As they do all this talking, Jesus just interrupts them. Oh, foolish ones, or King James, fools. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? These people were slow to understand. That's what foolish means. He's not just using a mean term. You're a fool. We just read in the law, Matthew 5, that we would be careful about calling somebody a fool. But sometimes people are fools. And sometimes they need to be told that. And so he rebukes them for not thinking, for not using their minds to learn the things that Jesus had taught them. He told them multiple times that he was gonna rise from the dead. Not to mention the law and the prophets had forecast this. Sometimes it's appropriate to rebuke someone That's what Jesus does here. Sometimes we need to rebuke a brother or sister in Christ, hoping that and praying that the one we rebuke will have the grace to hear it well. Jesus does that. It's not the only time he rebukes someone. He he does it in other places. The apostles did it. And so it can be a, a very blessed thing. Sometimes uh, when it's appropriate to speak like this, we need to have the attitude that John Calvin talked about. Calvin said these disciples, uh, according to Jesus, and I quote, would seem to have spoken to the deaf. Jesus seems to have spoken to the deaf, to blocks and stones. You know, it's, You get that impression sometimes when you talk to somebody, you feel like you're just talking to somebody that's a rock or a stone, or or they, they can't even hear what you're saying. They were slow to understand. They were slow to believe. The life of faith is a growing process, isn't it? When you become a Christian, you don't just instantly have perfect faith. You don't just instantly understand everything you need to understand. It never ends, our growing and our understanding. And it's an exciting thing and an encouraging thing to know that, as uh, spiritually illiterate as I feel like I am right now, God is promising that He's going to help me grow. And He does. Sometimes we don't even realize how much we've grown, but we do. And so we're slow to believe at times, like these two disciples were. What they were slow to believe was the scriptures. Look at how he puts it at the end of verse 25. You're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And later in verse 45, he says something similar, excuse me, verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The Old Testament speaks of Jesus. And we really can't understand adequately the the New Testament if we don't appreciate the, the preparation for that that comes from understanding the Old Testament. Okay, you get hung up on Leviticus. I understand. But Leviticus speaks of Jesus too. The whole Bible speaks of Jesus. It all focuses on him. And that's what the disciples needed to grasp. The reason you you are sad and slow of heart to believe is because you're not using the Bible like you should. And again, that turns itself on us. How well are we digging into the Word of God? Now, if you're struggling with that, need help with that, there's help available. Not only through study guides and books and study Bibles, but through the leaders of your church, the teachers in your church. Don't be too proud to say, Hey, you seem to know your Bible pretty well. Can we sit down sometime and talk about some questions I have? That's a good thing. We must believe all the scriptures. He says here, all that were spoken. Remember, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable, as Paul told Timothy. The last thing I want you to note they had a burning heart. Verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They were changed. Wasn't looking good there for a while in his conversation. But when Jesus was about to say, well, I'm going to bed, good night. (laughs) No, 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 don't go anywhere. Stay here with us. Probably because they wanted to hear more what he had to say. They realized that they were on a good thing here. And so as he taught them, we read that here they respond by having a good case of heartburn. The good kind of heartburn. The last church I served, <clears throat> probably the first week or two that I was there, An older man in the church, dear, wonderful Christian man, came up to me and pulled me over and he said, Jim, I have a burning desire to know the Bible. I mean, that's like saying, Sick'em to a dog. That's what pastors dream about. (laughs) You know, not, you need to read the Bible, but somebody else saying, Help me to learn the Bible. And boy, did I go for that. And he drank in every opportunity to meet by, just with him or meet with a group of men that met every week, learning God's word. And he grew and grew and grew. Became an elder in the church. Burning heart. You remember how Jeremiah had this situation? He said, is not his word like a fire? like a hammer that breaks a rock. And before that, in chapter 20, that was in chapter 23, but in chapter 20, Jeremiah says that the word of God was like a fire in his bones. You talk about fire in the hole, how about fire in the bones? The word of God sets our hearts on fire. When John Wesley was converted, and yes, Dr. Lord Jones did mention this, but I had already heard that before and heard it many times about how John Wesley was converted. I won't go into all the details. I'll just tell you one thing he said when, he, when the Lord opened his eyes spiritually. He said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Beautiful. And that's when they were changed because it was at that point that their hearts were burning and it was done before, before they realized that that was Jesus. Because you read a little further along and when we read what happened. Verse 30. When he broke the bread and blessed it, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And they say, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us and opened to us the scriptures? While he talked to us on the road and opened to us the scriptures? That's when our hearts started burning. And then, finally, they are really able to recognize who Jesus was. We see Jesus a lot better when we have our hearts opened. There's a song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Ephesians 1, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. And so that's what we need. What difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead make now in our present lives? Jesus rose from the dead in the past, yes. And because of what he did 2,000 years ago, he also will come again to raise all who trust in him. And he will clothe them, clothe them with the perfect and permanent bodies of our glorification. We will be perfect spiritually and physically. But let's not forget the here and now effect that the resurrection of Christ is designed to produce in us. That's what this lesson is about. Let's not forget that Christ is still working to take the sad of heart and the slow of heart and turn them into burning hearts. The way he does this is through the Word of God working in us as we read it and study it and meditate on it. Each of us must prioritize the Bible in our lives. Where are you with that? Each of us can also develop cold hearts because of our sinful condition. We can have that burning heart and then time will go by and it'll start cooling down. Kind of like these Heated seats in cars. They heat the seat up, but safety precaution, they cut off automatically after a certain point, and then they'll cut back on. So they're kind of oscillating there. Our hearts, unfortunately, are like that. Hot for a while, cold for a while. What do you do when you have the cold heart? The great missionary Jim Elliott said one time in his journal, I need to get into the word for a little defrosting. Get in the word. Open your heart to it. Ask the spirit to teach you, humbly submitting yourself to the spirit's work to help you and to change you to be holy and pleasing to God. Just set your heart back on course and on fire. That doesn't mean you're gonna go out like a flaming evangelist grabbing everybody you see and, you know, brother, he's saved and yelling about Jesus and making yourself generally obnoxious. There's a right way to do this. The holy peace that settles over us, that's not the mark of a sad face. There's joy there. The result of getting into the word, opening your heart to the word, as God opens his heart to you in his word, will enable you to know, as the apostle Paul put it, the power of his resurrection. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the living word of the living God of the living Savior who's alive and is at your right hand working in this world, building his church, changing people's hearts, growing Christians as they learn more and more and apply it to their lives. Father, if there are some here today that really don't know what this means, having never experienced it, we Certainly pray for them. We pray that they would come to see the place that Christ must have in all our lives. And we ask, O Lord, that each one of us here today, whatever our spiritual condition may be, that we would walk away from this building able to rejoice and to know the peace that you alone can give, which will truly give us that gladness of heart for all eternity.